Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me at Scavendish on Twitter. Uh, if you're so inclined, please rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. We would appreciate it greatly. Please share the show. Tell your friends. Pass it along. We do appreciate it. Buck Rising is our guest today on the program from A to Z Sports, and we spent a long time talking with him because he is, as he likes to call me, uh, a gas bag as well, a fellow gas bagger on the show. And we covered a whole lot of stuff. And we'll have ratings and recs coming up a little bit later on. Uh, before we get into what we talked about with Buck, I, I do want to remind everybody that we still have a contest going on for, let's say, one more week until next week's show. And so that you, we can hashtag talk about. Yes, exactly. So hashtag talk about. Listen, if you hear someone in the media asking a question with the phrase talk about, number one, it's not a question. Number two, send us that example at 440 Sports on Twitter. And hashtag talk about we've got a, we've got three different people that are now tied for the lead to win a gift card from Four Top Hospitality, which is a bunch of really awesome restaurants in Nashville. So we've got a three way tie. So we got one more week of this. Tweet us examples of people using talk about. There were a couple of press conferences there with Urban Meyer that were really coach, good. Coach, can can you talk about your offense? Can you can you just can you just, can you talk about your defense too? Coach, talk about the again. Talk about the mindset in the locker room, Coach. Um, so again, tweet us at 440 Sports with the hashtag Talk About. You got one more week to win a gift card to Four Top Hospitality, hundred dollar gift card. There's three people that are tied currently in the league. bunch of, bunch of great restaurants, but it's Etch, it's Amerigo, it's etc. It's Saltine, it's Char, it's it's just Jasper's. All good stuff. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of great stuff. So. Uh, again, want to make sure we get that out of the way before we get into Buck. Uh, ratings and recommendations with a massive Titans number against the Houston Texans, as expected. Huge. As expected. So we'll get to our recommendations and our ratings after the conversation, so you can always catch that at the end of the show. However, uh, quickly here, Steve, what we talked about with Buck, a whole lot of stuff, but mostly we focused on social media because he is very good on the social platforms. Their entire company is sort of built on using and, and manipulating and maximizing social platforms. And, and I just find it a, a strange world to live in. And Buck is very comfortable there. And he talks a lot about how comfortable he is there. Titans Twitter is a strange place sometimes, especially during game days. But also just sort of, you know, what it's like to live in this digital, social, ever-present, constantly interacting and engaging world. And, you know, Buck does it better than a, a lot of people do. And, and uh, we, we covered a lot of ground with him. In fact, you guys even got, got a little chippy, a little spicy on the program today. There is a definite demarcation in age here. And I think it, and it falls around kind of what journalism is in this era and what is permissible in this era and whether or not the, the rules of journalism or the principles of journalism, how much they apply in this era. And, and I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a real difference here and you'll hear, <laughs> yes, yes, you will. Uh, you, you'll hear uh, just just kind of like where those differences are. Buck is Buck is a, of a different generation than me, and I suddenly feel really old saying that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but but what's funny about him and and something I appreciate appreciate about him, I'll never tell him to his face, but uh, he does have sort of an old soul vibe. He he lives in this new soul world very as much a, so. as a, a very very millennial millennial. But like he doesn't, he sort of has an old soul. He, he you know lots of history and books in his childhood. <laughs> so uh, it, what's interesting is, you know, we covered a few different things. We talked a little bit about betting and gambling in sports. We talked a little bit about revisionist fandom, which I find something that you and I have not really delved into a lot, but I think it lives in social media 
with accounts like Old Takes Exposed, where like two and a half years ago, I thought one thing and now I think a different thing. Why can't that exist? And no, you have to be told that you have to have the same opinion. And, and I don't understand why revisionist fandom is such a major problem, but it exists mostly on social media. So we talked a lot about that. And then, of course, where you guys and what you were alluding to, Steve, and what Buck and you had a lengthy conversation about, I actually just sat back and watched, was about the Isaiah Wilson reporting. And we've talked about it on the show before. Character assassination versus ethical editorial thresholds. Very interesting conversation between the two of you. That's for sure. Buck's a very good sport. We had a lot of fun with it. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure anybody's mind was changed, but uh, <laughs> tune in. It's a uh, it's a good discussion. Yeah, and it's always fun to listen to him talk and bloviate. We do appreciate it. Uh, I always love having Buck hanging out with us. So, uh, without further ado, again, ratings and recs coming up afterward. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, but here is a very lengthy conversation about a whole lot of stuff as it pertains to digital media with Buck Rising of A to Z Sports. Buck, thank you, man, for giving us a few minutes of your time this morning. We do appreciate it. Big playoff weekend for the Titans. And I guess we'll start there, first and foremost. Uh, through this bizarre 2020, you, you've covered the Titans now for a few years. Do you believe that that it's been different interacting with the coaching staff, trying to get information for your audience and for your listeners through the, the pandemic, COVID sort of separation of, of media and, and team? Or do you think you've been able to still do, deliver the same content to your audience? Well, certainly I haven't been able to, I mean, I think just speaking, not that I would speak for all of us, but speaking for all of us, I think that there is decidedly less diversity of content because we're all kind of feeding at the same Zoom trough at this point throughout the course of the pandemic. I think that there's, there's a couple different layers to that because one, Mike Vrabel is not somebody who's going to give us much, whether we're in person or whether we're on Zoom. He mostly just likes to make fun of us. And now he can do it in the Zoom chat without the rest of the public seeing it. So he takes great pleasure in that. Um, but I think more, when you talk about the coaching staff, more with the assistant coaches than anything. I think those, even still in COVID, when we're only getting them once a week via Zoom, I think that those are the most valuable conversations between Vrabel, the players, or anybody that we get access to. Those are the most valuable conversations, I think, just for the, for the understanding of what each specific position is tasked with doing, kind of understanding the fundamentals of what broke down on a certain play, how a certain player has improved, the people tasked with kind of their day-to-day -day development. And I think that's really been hindered more than anything this year because now we rotate with the assistant coaches every other week sometimes we don't get them and by league by league mandate they're not required to be served up to us every week so the PR staff is really just doing it out of the good graces of Titans PR so I think that's probably the place where we're hurt the most because I thought I think those are our best conversations our most informative conversations to be able to provide people context throughout the course of a week. In a, in a post-game setting, it seems, it seems as different sports have handled this differently, but particularly, uh, particularly uh, MLS and NBA have been more restrictive in, the, in, in sort of the post-game. Uh, do you feel that the Titans and the NFL have been more restrictive in the post-game? Because they have, you know, now that everything's by Zoom, they just kind of have the ability to cut it off and, and say, okay, we're – we're moving on to other things, whether it's if you're in a 
press conference setting and there's 20 or 30 people there and trying, you know, there's a certain energy in the room. You're trying to get questions in. There's a, there's a little bit of back and forth. Whereas now it's just that, it's just that tunnel. Is, has it felt that way in the NFL as well? Well, sure. Um, and I think, you know, NFL just as a whole, we're probably more, we're probably luckier than anybody because the NFL doesn't really care about, uh, they don't have to protect optics the way that the rest of the leagues feel the need uh, to do. So they're much less protective with the people that they make available to us. But yeah, I think, I think Joe Rex wrote our buddy from, uh, from the athletic was doing a kind of a, a survey of his colleagues around the league to see, you know, how long each of the coaches post game press conferences have been going. I don't know. I don't know what he ended up finding. He was just talking about that in our group text the other day. Um, but it is difficult, right? Because in a post game setting, especially when they're on the road, they are trying to move them along. They're trying to get everybody on the plane. They're trying to get the hell out of there. They're trying to get home. And what we're told in the post game zooms by whomever is running that particular zoom from the PR side of things is, Hey, one question. And then if we have time for follow-ups, we'll get to it. Well, that's sure as hell not the case when we're all sitting in front of them, we can just go back and forth as we like. And when it's over, it's over this. Come on this guys, is, you're flying charter. Give us a little more time. I, that's, that's what I'm saying. Right. Like I can do. And, and, and honestly, there's not a connecting flight. They need to get to the gate on no. time with here. I mean, no, I'm sorry. On. We we're, we're going through Cincinnati. It's a long way to answer your question, and the answer is yes. I think more than any other league, though, we are afforded a lot more a lot more access and a lot more availability than anybody else has been throughout the course of this thing. Well, we, we want to focus heavily on social media in general and, and how it's evolved, how it's changed, how it affects content, how it affects media, and how we cover things a lot with you today. And I, I think a good way to maybe dip the toe into that part of the conversation, Buck, is to ask you how you view your role on Twitter during a football game, how you have to interact with Titans fans. Do you enjoy that part of the job? Do you think it's a fun and healthy part of the job or, or, or are Titans or is social media, just like, you know, the rest of social media, just a cesspool of emotional. <laughs> can, can I cuss on this podcast? Am I Hell yes. Hell yes. Absolutely. Um, there, there is nothing, there is nothing that is, there, nothing that I do is conducive to my health in just in, in terms of, uh, in terms of day to day, but particularly on game days, like social media absolutely fucks me up, but it's essential, right? The, the engagement in game. And not only because now it's at the point where I run both my account and the A to Z account on game day, because I'm better at Twitter than a lot of people that we have doing social media. So it's my responsibility to one, keep track of things like down and distance. I have a third down thread that I use with gifts from the A to Z account because they've been so fucking wretched on third downs this year, historically bad, and people seem to get great enjoyment out of it. So ultimately, like my, my role, my responsibility during the game I think is both to inter uh, to I almost combined the words to inform while also entertaining. Like I'm, I think I'm a lot different than a lot of people who do my job, and that's a good thing because there's a, a good diversity of 
people who cover the Tennessee Titans between, you know, Teron Davenport, who's incredible at X's and O's, Kaharski, who's like a, like a true blue, uh, classically trained Ivy League journalist. Uh, and I'm just some internet slap that happened to wander into a, into a locker room because you and me worked at a place that was hugely incompetent and they didn't have anybody uh, uh, providing day-to-day coverage of the pro- local professional football team. So I ended up being the guy. And, and so what I try to do with social media in the middle of that is one kind of, it's kind of like my way of taking notes. Like I'm workshopping my opinions in game because what my company A to Z sports pays me for is my opinions. And that's what they want me to write after the game. So instead of me scribbling down on a legal pad, and sometimes I do that as well, just in terms of situational stuff, but it's my train of thought that I'm allowing everybody else to be a part of and engage with as a result. And then ultimately I'm just going to go back through my tweets while I'm watching the game and see, okay, this is why I felt this way when Mike Vrabel decides inexplicably to go for it on fourth and 11 and gets Ryan Tannehill sacked. What the fuck is he doing there? How can I make that coherent in a column after the fact and in whatever I'm going to talk about on the primetime show after the game? Is there anything more manic than Titans Twitter during a game? (laughs) Um, I think, well, it, during a game, I don't think so. Uh, so, 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 so let me, so let me, let me paint this scenario for you here. Titans uh, win the toss, defer to the second half. <laughs> Team X that they're playing takes the ball on a twelve-play, eighty-yard drive and scores, converting five or six different times on third and more than five. Yep. <laughs> Is there a healthy way to be on Titans Twitter at that point? Or is it, are, are you just sort of, are you just on the roller coaster at that point? I'm going to use a trick I used to use at the radio station. I'm going to yell away from the microphone so that the people make it sound like ambiance. Why the hell don't we have a defensive coordinator yet? The fuck is Mike Frable's problem? Fire the entire staff. Go find DPs. Get him the hell back and find us a pass rush. That's basically what it is. For about uh, for about 20 minutes throughout the course of that 18 play, you know, 95 yard drive where Ben Roethlisberger just paper cuts uh, paper cuts them to death against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So in game, because Vault Twitter is wild, like Vault Twitter <laughs> is insane, and I'm I am less experienced in that world because I have only just within the last two years had a talk show where I'm I have to talk about not have to, but I'm as a part of what people care about. Now my responsibility is paying more closer attention to the local college football team and the biggest audience that we have, any of us in Middle Tennessee, when they're good, is the Tennessee Volunteers. Vault Twitter, though, is way wilder outside of the games in the offseason when there's not a two and eight team to bitch about. Yeah, Greg Um, Shiano would agree. Exactly. Well, and and I would argue, like, you know, you mentioned Titans Twitter. And it's not like the Titans fans are any crazier about their team than the Cowboys fans or the Eagles fans or, you know, a lot of these other big time programs. You, you mentioned Vol Twitter. FSU Twitter's had its day in the sun before. I, I just I don't know that it's unique to the Titans necessarily. And and frankly, I don't want to say bizarre, but their relationship with the city being sort of, you know, indefinable for so many years. I find it interesting that it's so manic, that it is so roller coaster during a game because it it seems like they if the team's not good the fans walk away pretty easily 
without caring about the team. Does that make sense? Sure. And this is actually something that I've talked about with, with friends in, in the national media when they come on the podcast, like Diana Rossini, for example, who comes on my uh, 615 sessions fairly frequently. And she says that Titans Twitter is the meanest place in the world. And God forbid she say Marcus Mariota's <laughs> name on national television because of what happens in her mentions. And I do think that to a degree. Wait, wait. God forbid she says his name or God forbid she mispronounces his name like the rest of national media. Well, Diana's been around long enough that and close enough to this particular organization that she's one of the few that actually gets it right. Unlike Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, where Joe Buck says it right and Troy Aikman says it wrong, literally while they're standing, you know, six to 10 feet from one another in the booth. It's incredible to me. But uh, but there is there is something very unique about how (laughs) how slighted these people feel on Titans Twitter and the entire narrative that has existed as long as I've been here, I'm sure for much longer about how people in the national media, one, don't watch their football team, which is true, uh, and two, don't care about their football team because it does not, it does not bear out ratings on, on television networks. It simply doesn't. There's not enough of them to swing the needle in a way that would dictate SportsCenter, for example, as I'm watching people talk about Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns on first take. It's, it, is, it is that kind of... That kind of uh, uh, underdog uh worlds against us nobody cares about us adam rank on the nfl network picked us to go three and 13 even though he's a fantasy expert and what the fuck should i care about adam rank's opinion it's all of these things combined with the general stupidity of the internet and i love these people titans twitter are my people like i am one of them i am in the sewers just as much as they are like i am a product of that of that particular cesspool but also, I recognize that there's a lot of dumb shit set on the internet. And this is all combined into one fueled by hate ethos that is Titans Twitter. So so you said the word better at Twitter. Uh, um, and I think everybody sort of consumes it in a different way. I, I think, you, like you said, Twitter and, and other social media platforms will sort of lump them all together. They have this, it's like this conglomeration of emotions, right? Like you can see some really amazing inspirational positive stuff like in one in the same scroll as you see the the most hateful evil disgusting human behavior that you're ever going to find and you can see it all in one place and in like five seconds time and so i don't know how like and i, and I don't know about you i have a tough time separating those things in, in that quick of a moment and i don't know if that's just because I, I you know i'm not a scroller most of my life I, I don't i don't know what what the reason is um but you seem to you know, you said better, like I'm better at, at Twitter. How do you define that for people and, and explain that? Because again, you can in one moment be so serious about such a very serious topic and, and then, uh, you know, a stupid gif about a third down defense. Like, so how, how do you, that, that sort of false duality, how do you explain what better is in, in that universe? No, that makes a lot of sense because it, it honestly, and I don't like to credit you for much, Brighton, but I remember uh, you telling me when we worked together previously that I needed to be more informative on Twitter and just instead of just being there for the jokes, like if I'm going to be an NFL reporter, there has to be, you know, there has to be a regular, uh, a regularity of, of more just baseline information for people to consume. So over the, over the course of, I guess it's been four years, this is my fourth season covering them and five years living here in Nashville. Like it's been kind of trying to find the balance between okay i am 
I'm more prone to letting my personality show through my tweets with like shit like the painted nails emoji when I think that I've that I've bested somebody in Twitter combat or, you know, then pivoting to reporting on Isaiah Wilson getting a DUI. A lot of it, I'm, I'm trusting people to kind of get who I am. And it takes a while, I feel like, for, for people to kind of understand individuals' voice. But you do have to kind of, kind of you know, get the, get the stuff that football fans are there for, right? Why are, we, why are we so bad on third down? Well, you know, I've talked to a couple people in the organization that say the defense is too complex, and here is why. There's too many alerts. There's too many checks for literally every formation on that and relaying that part of the information. Then on game day, you know, it's more, it's more in the moment. I'm going to talk more like you guys are talking, but from an informed, maybe a little more informed, a little more understanding of what's going on and who the characters are involved from that perspective. So when I say better, I think I'm just more comfortable being as much personality as I am informant on Twitter, whereas Twitter is not traditionally by beat reporters, which is technically what I am. Uh, that's not something that people like John Glennon, for example, are comfortable doing. And I love Johnny and Johnny is now venturing into the gift world because he likes to troll me about getting my girlfriend a dog. And that helps people kind of get to know more of who Johnny is. Or when I take a picture of him wearing shorts in fucking 23 degree weather on Christmas day, because he's got some kind of asshole tradition with Kaharski and Jimmy, where they're going to see who can wear shorts the longest. Like, I think people appreciate that as well. So I probably shouldn't say better. I probably should just say more comfortable. All right. So let's, uh, let's play a little game here. This game is called perception versus reality with Titans players. Okay. The perception of Malcolm Butler on social media in Titans, Twitter in Titans, social media land versus the reality of Malcolm Butler. What is it? Yeah. Uh, I think that people largely think that Malcolm Butler Maybe less so this year, um, but people have largely thought that Malcolm Butler is overpaid and that he gives up too many chunk plays and that he is a uh, a waste of uh, of valuable uh, valuable draft uh, or excuse me of of salary cap uh, allotment. When in reality, Malcolm Butler is somebody who is as passionate about the sport of football and as driven by by just the competitiveness of the sport itself as anybody I've ever seen. And it's, it's different because when you kind of give people a little bit of Malcolm, like I have, I have this thing that's been going on since he fractured his wrist in week seven, I think of the 2018 season, no 2019. Cause Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator. Um, you, you've blocked out the entire IR thing from last year. I mean, yeah, basically, <laughs> I don't blame you, but, but, but so, so where people ask me, you know, can Malcolm Butler come off IR, yada, yada, yada. And then now it becomes a Dory Jackson and, and Taylor Lewan and on. And so finally I get Malcolm Butler on the podcast and, and Malcolm, but, and Malcolm recognizes, Hey, is this the IR guy? And we have a good time with it. And he's not necessarily, I mean, he's from, he's from backwoods, Mississippi. So he doesn't talk the way that you and I talk but he's a very intelligent guy. He's a very engaging guy. He's, a, he's funny as hell, to be completely honest with you. But people who look at him from afar or hear a clip of him in a press conference probably think, well, this guy, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He seems to be 
Uh, he seems to be to a degree unintelligent. And he, and also he gave, he got absolutely wrecked by Justin Jefferson in week three. So clearly he must suck. And so people remember those moments more than they take the time to get to know the actual players on social media, which is something that I try to use the podcast to do. It's more human interest than it is. Hey, let's talk about the game. When you come on, on a Monday morning, next player, Derek Henry. That's a, that's an interesting one. Cause the, the, the biggest he's, issue, go he's, ahead. The, he's the opposite. Like it's almost like he's this larger than life persona on social media. And in real life, he's kind of just to play video games and relax at the house guy. Right? Like it's almost the opposite. Well, and, and what makes it harder for Derek from that perspective is he's always going to be juxtaposed against Eddie George, right? And Derek Henry is decidedly not Eddie George, <clears throat> just in terms of who they are as people. And that's totally fine. Well, he's not going to uh, do Shakespeare or he's not he, going to do what? Well, listen, I thought he killed it in the Celine Dion. Uh, it's all coming back to me, ESPN <laughs> commercials. And he, and, he, and he really seems to enjoy uh, the Heisman House stuff. So I, I, I mean, you know, I, we laugh, but who knows? Maybe he's got a little bit of, little bit of that in him. And he's a, he's an incredibly caring individual, um, in a way that is not relayed well in his media availability. Because uh, Derek is the only player that I think has benefited from, from Zoom. Uh, because we're not all just absolutely surrounding him like vultures on a carcass in the locker room with microphones and cameras and all manner of things in his face when he talks the one day a week, because he only does talk the one day a week on Thursdays. And so having that kind of stand in line, raise your hand format that Zoom makes him, I th this has been his best year in terms of interacting with us, because a lot of times he comes off surly or aloof or disinterested when that's really not at all who he is as a person. I, I went to, he does this pay away the layaway thing every year um, at one store for, for people who have items on layaway during the holiday season. And, and Teron Davenport, myself, I think we're the only, I think there was a couple of the, of the TV stations there as well. Um, but we went to cover it because it's rare that you get an opportunity to interact with Derek outside of the conventions of, uh, of a locker room or in this, in this year, a Zoom. And so afterwards, you know, Derek, Derek is not a conversive person unless, you know, unless you're outside of the locker room. And then he's an incredibly warm and, and kind individual, because the first thing that he came up first, he came up and thanked us very, you know, graciously for, for coming to the event and covering it and, and making sure that people kind of knew what was going on uh, with the situation that he was, that he was doing. And it's not like he's looking for the, for the, for the good PR. He just, you know, was generally appreciative that somebody cared enough to show up. And then he started talking to me about my dad um, who passed away in, I found out in the middle of their Raiders game last year, uh, he might, my, my, you know, not to, not to get into a bunch of details that people don't necessarily care about, but I'm half Egyptian. My, my parents have been split up since I was little and my entire, my dad and his entire side of the family live in Cairo. Um, and so I fat he's been struggling with Parkinson's for, I mean, since before I was born and just finally degenerated in a way that, uh, that ultimately, you know, he, he just ended up passing. Um, and that happened in the middle of a game in, in 2019. And it was something that, you know, my, my bosses, cause I had a, I had a show that night and I was a wreck cause I found out on Facebook because one of my aunts messaged me. And while I'm sitting in a, sitting in a press box in, in Oakland, I mean, you don't, 
you, you don't really know how to process stuff like that. So I was talking to Austin and Zach at, at A to Z and like, you know, I, this is, this is what happened. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do my show tonight. And so I put it out on Twitter in a way that I shouldn't have done because it felt, you know, it was informing, Hey, no show tonight. But I said, it's because my dad passed and it blew up in a way that was hugely uncomfortable um, that I did not anticipate. This is what goes back to me being too comfortable on Twitter. Anyway, so Derek, Derek had seen that and wanted to talk to me about my dad afterwards. And we spent probably about 25 minutes talking about, you know, family stuff because he comes from a, a little bit of a different family background, family dynamic as well. And I, you know, I had no idea that Derek Henry knew who I was other than one of these faceless people that comes on Thursdays to stick a microphone in his mouth. Um, and it was, it was just, a, it was a disarming moment for me in a way, this is an incredibly long answer, but it's just, he's, he's so, he's so human in a way that people don't want to make him human. He's a superhero. He's an extraterrestrial. He's 2,027 yards uh, and 17 touchdowns and just an absolutely. And a, and a, and a wake of bodies on the sideline getting there. Yeah, I mean, just an absolute shit kicker. Like he, he is, he is, uh, he is a gladiator, and and what he really is is just a just an incredibly sweet human being. Uh, and that sounds weird to say about about uh, about somebody that I cover, but that's that's kind of very much altered my perception of Derek in a way that a lot of our media core can get disgruntled because he is he is a terrible quote, and he's the biggest star on the team, and you want more out of him. But I always it's it's kind of it's kind of informed the way that I, I respond to him now after the fact. It's interesting. I've never really considered myself sort of like on the Titans beat per se, but I got to cover him as a sophomore at Alabama right. when the first time I talked to him and it, it was the exact same sort of conversation. I, I had a three minute one-on-one -on -one with him on the floor of the sugar bowl before they played Ohio state in the playoff game. And just the, the, the mildest guy I did a couple of shows with him. Um, you know, when we did the Titans player show and again, just a remarkably different polar personality type from sort of his running style, right? Like you're talking about. Yeah. And, and so I guess my, my question to sort of pivot off that into personalities of players, what, what do people need to know about how players interact with the public on social media? Because you, you have some players like to troll the fans on Instagram. Some players are, are there to put out their own messages. Some player, Logan Ryan, for example, would do as much as he could to promote his own really, really genuinely good causes. Like, so how do you think fans and, and even media to some degree should be approaching the way players now can control their own message on, on some of these platforms? I recognized probably probably as soon as I started dealing with these guys and, and understanding what social media was in the NFL world, that these guys don't need us. <laughs> they just truly don't need us in a way that athletes have typically needed traditional media. And it's why I'm, I consider myself and, and A to Z sports considers ourselves largely untraditional in the way that things are trending. Like I understand that I have to have a good working dynamic with these guys and also cover them fairly. Like I do, I, I don't shy away from, from talking about how Jonathan Joseph is the biggest waste of a professional football player I've ever seen in my life. And also understanding that I'm going to, you know, on the football field is different from our, our day-to-day -day interactions with Jonathan Joseph. Um, and, and obviously it was different this year with COVID, but anyway, the ones who Logan Ryan was exceedingly good at messaging and, 
and there are there are these are not dumb jocks that you're dealing with on the internet these are very very savvy people they have uh they have a team of individuals around them that can help them sharpen their messaging make it more clear make it more concise and also make it favorable and you also you have to understand that you're getting while you are getting one side of the story you're getting it directly from the source in most cases when taylor lawan goes on Twitter and says, hey, I tore my ACL. I wanted you to hear it from uh, from me first instead of Adam Schefter getting it from his agents at CAA and, and reporting it as, as traditional media is done. Optics, got, there's there's a lot of guys, I think Kevin Byard's a really good example of this. Kevin Byard um, is largely beloved and this year he's having a down year. And Kevin Byard is a different kind of cat than I think he projects um, based on just who the, the people that you talk to around him and, and how that, and how that kind of, how that kind of relates itself onto the internet because he, and he, he does do good and he does do good work, but he's also very aware of who he's dealing with and who he's talking to and how that projects and what it looks like optically. These guys are much more aware of the optics than, than ever they have been before and I think you have to understand you have to be you're relying on people to be discerning which is ultimately difficult (laughs) because people are not very discerning largely uh and but you as as a media member you have to you have to look at it and say okay I'm gonna I'm gonna treat you differently than traditional media than a columnist might uh in a newspaper or something like that but also I'm gonna be up front with you in the idea that I'm gonna be here every day and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna talk about you and I'm going to talk about your performance, your your good performances, your bad performances, and I'm going to show up the next day. So if you have anything to say to me, we can talk about it. And I'm always going to talk to you about it first to help inform my opinion. But you have to understand that this is a working relationship, and that's how it's going to be treated as such. Well, I guess that that brings us to uh, a particular character on the team. Um, and s- sometimes I, I I read posts, I see things, and and I just go, I, I don't get it, man. I, I just I'm not in that world. I don't live in that world. I I don't get it. Do I need to care about this or not? And sometimes athletes are just having fun with people, and 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 sort of there's a a literacy with with certain social media platforms that you have to have to sort of understand where people are coming from. I mean, and, and so. I guess that brings us to Isaiah Wilson for a variety of reasons. One is the decision-making process he's, he's had on all of the stuff that is now getting out via social media and, and probably is not going to uh, work in his favor for, for any reason. But also, y'all, you guys in, in, in your company at A to Z Sports, y'all's decision-making process on publishing the story sort of about him sort of take, I know there's a lot of questions there, but sort of take people through exactly why and what's happening with Isaiah Wilson and, and why that stuff is going on. And then your decision-making process to publish the story you did that was very, very critical of him. Well, which one, I guess, is, is, the, <laughs> is the follow-up that I would ask you because there's been several different instances at this point. So maybe maybe, uh, maybe well, we'll like, find that a little bit for me. Yeah, I mean, d- reporting on a DUI is reporting on a story. I, I don't yeah. think there's anything anything you know questionable or whatever about that. I, I think, I don't remember the exact wording, but when a, an anonymous source calls a player, was it worthless? Was that the, 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 the term? Um, yeah. And again, it may not, it may not, not be true. <laughs> That's not... That's not necessarily the question. I just am curious about y'all, you guys' conversation about that story, running with that story. And then again, the, the follow-up is we're, we're watching him self-destruct to some degree, his career at least, maybe not personally, I, I don't know. But 
we're watching it sort of unfold in real time on social media. So the story that you're referencing is the second report that we had on Isaiah Wilson, which was him being late to a practice after he had been brought back from the COVID list, his second stint on the COVID list, which he spent almost a month on, which is a, a new thing this year in the NFL, where they put a player on, on COVID-19 reserve list to, to kind of take him away from the team at that point. They don't disclose whether they tested positive or whether it's just been close contact, but based on the amount of time that he that he spent, one can assume um, that he had the virus. Now, what what happened was this a lot of this was was pointed at me because I'm the A to Z Sports Titans reporter. And the biggest difference was this was something that Austin and Zach both had sources on, and then they needed my help to flush out, which I was happy to do. And that's why it said A to Z sports staff report on it. The, the, the biggest issue that I think people had with it largely was it was a, it was a, it was a character assassination by people in the, in the organization. And it was a lot of one word quotes, just descriptive, descriptive words about Isaiah Wilson. I, I don't have the, the report in front of me, but basically the, to paraphrase, it was lazy, useless, and, and a waste of time. Um, and there were a lot of people in media who were critical about it. And I understand, I understand that perspective of it. Uh, I also think that it is newsworthy to understand what people in the building feel like Isaiah Wilson. Now, anonymous sourcing is, is the best form of cowardice that anybody in this industry uh, has at their disposal because you can snipe at people without uh, disclosing who it is. And then all it, all it does is put the one person that you're focusing your ire on, uh, in a bad position. And Isaiah Wilson's an easy target, right? Nobody's disputing, uh, that he is, uh, that he is a problem, that he has problematic behavior, that he has tendencies that are, that are an issue. And ultimately what we decided on, and I think I, I probably would have looked at a little, uh, looked at it a little more critically, at a second go around, but that's revisionist history, and none of us none of us have the uh, the the luxury of that. Uh, but I do think people I do think it was worth telling people how he is felt, how he is how he is thought of amongst members of the organization. I think that was the biggest piece that we were trying to relate. Now, does it does it benefit us that nobody was going to push back on that? Of course, one thousand percent. That's it. It makes life a lot easier on us to be able to do something like that. Had we been taking out, uh, who's got a sterling reputation? Dennis Kelly. Dennis Kelly. If it had been a, if it had been a thing about Dennis Kelly, <laughs> here's a here's a hit piece about a guy dealing with a, just, an illness and absolute <laughs> character assassination of Dennis Kelly, and he's lazy and worthless <laughs> because he had an unknown illness that cost him a couple games in 2019. What a sack of shit Dennis Kelly is. No, I love Dennis. He's a great uh, a great one. But um, so I think I think under under standards of traditional journalism that probably doesn't get through the editorial process. In fact, it doesn't get through the editorial process, but none of us have a traditional journalism background. I think it was the right move. I think I would do it again. I, I don't think I would do it again. I know I would do it again. And I know that I would contribute to that report. I think the one thing that I would change is the one word quotes. Like that, That I because th there was a lot more that we had that we weren't comfortable 
putting out there because it was a lot about his spending habits, which are now clear and obvious to everybody who follows on, on Instagram. I didn't have copies of receipts in order to put that in a report. I don't know what Isaiah Wilson's spending. All I know is that he's totaled two cars and that there's a uh, probably, probably more out there that we don't, that hasn't been confirmed. We'll leave it at that. And so there were, there were details in the fuller quotes that we were not comfortable running with because we did not have the, the evidence to back it up. And that made it feel to me, that's kind of where I, I, in, in my portion of the, of the, the discussion between Austin, Zach and myself, that's kind of where I pulled back. And I think Austin, I, I don't remember exactly whom had what to say about what, but I, I think that's the, that's the only thing that I would go back and change. I would try and flesh out the quotes more rather than running with it the way that we had it, but I would run it again. And I would, I think we, I think we largely in an un, in an untraditional media world, I think that's what a lot of people uh, want to know. They want to know what people think about Isaiah Wilson inside the building, and and that's what they think. Let me push back here just a little bit. Sure. Is that a cop-out to say in an untraditional media world that you can sort of abandon kind of ethics principles in order to run something that you know is going to be popular? I mean, that, that, that story... I, I don't I haven't seen your metrics. I assume it did really well. I assume sure. it got passed around a lot. I know it was passed around a lot on social media because I could see that part of it. The reason why those ethics standards got developed over time and you know it, it's not a it's not a canon. it's not it's not you know written in stone tablets down from a mountain, but it but it there are accepted practices that have arisen over the years that I think, do a lot of different things, not not the least of which is provide a level of fairness to the subject that you're covering. And so there's these anonymous quotes about Isaiah Wilson that aren't descriptive in the sense of he can't run his he can't run his 40 time that he ran at the combine, or he he can't do these things, or he is unable to execute these drills in practice. It is He's a sack of shit. Yeah. And that is, that is character assassination. And do you think that we should be uh, in the media should be in the business of perpetuating that? Uh, uh, Because, because you're the, you are the arbiter there that is going through your funnel. You have these quotes, you have these relationships with these people who are speaking anonymously about Isaiah Wilson. And yet, you know, you and, and the A to Z, folks putting this into into print is just bypassing that filter you're you're putting it straight through right and and what i would say to you is is there are there are guidelines that that i think i think have evolved right it's kind of like baseball like the unwritten rules of baseball in a way in where you know there's going to be pushback on pushback from people like from from a, a newer generation, the next gen of, of baseball players or baseball fans or whatever the case may be. What I would say is, is the rules are largely changing because what you're talking about is a filter and the internet is an unfiltered place and we operate in an unfiltered place. And that is largely what, what I kind of look at it as. Now it is incumbent, I think, upon the individual to discern just in the way as we're talking about people discerning their, the, the information and, and the messages from players on social media, rightly or wrongly, the rules have changed when it comes to journalism. And I think that there's a lot, I think there's a lot uh, of stuff that a lot of principles from journalism that need to be carried over in a way that 
you cannot just take out a helpless individual. And as I mentioned, Isaiah Wilson is not viewed as a helpless individual. He's an easy target for people for people to pile on. I think that it's not as much a cop-out as it is playing playing the game that everybody else is playing right now. And is, I have that, my that's, go ahead. But is that a I mean, is that a is that a legitimate reason to do something? I mean, just because everybody else is doing it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that it's that there's a reason there's a reason that A to Z sports as a as a as a digital entity is second only to the Tennessee Titans in weekly engagements because we're good at the internet. We know what we're doing. Um, and that was a piece that was a, a report that was as much about Isaiah Wilson and what people are saying about him in the building as knowing what our audience wants. That's what our audience wants. But but you guys are so popular because of the connectivity. I mean, mm. all three of you do a really great job of connecting with people. Uh, I mean, I've watched the shows and I've watched the the sort of the hyper uh, nature of them and, you know, comments coming in and you guys in kind of real time sort of engaging with your audience. And that's why you're really popular. And that's why you've done well. Not, not because you're willing to take out somebody at a moment's notice with an, with an anonymous quote. Well, what I would say is it should not be it. If, if we are going to be given those quotes and saying, yeah, this is what we feel about it. You can use these, then we're going to use them. Like that's just kind of the way that I look at it. That's and and like like I you know because Joe Rexrode and Karski and myself we did a podcast about this I think the week of week of the report and Rexrode's main point was it's cowardice on the behalf of of the people willing to take him out in the organization and I don't necessarily dispute that um, in fact I don't dispute that at all but if somebody says yeah you can run with this am I gonna hold back no I just don't think that's I don't think I think that's where the filtering. If you give it to me, I'm going to use it. If you give it to me and you tell me that I can use it, I'm going to use it. And that's the way that we approach this. In right, one last thing I want to push back on here. <laughs> so if you know that it is cowardice on their part, yeah. why do you enable it? That's a good question. Uh, and I would, I would say, I would say in the, in the moment, well, one, because you want people to keep talking to you. I think that's ultimately, that's ultimately the thing uh, that all of us have to look at. And that's kind of the balance. Like when we talked, we talked about with professional out, uh, athletes earlier, like there's, there's a lot of compromises that are being made, not just, not just by people in, uh, people in unconventional or new media, but by people in traditional media who are terrified of losing their sources. So I think that's, I think that's probably at the, at the, at the core of it. And is it enabling? Yes. Does it benefit us? Yes. Do I think it's still newsworthy? Yes. And I think that in that particular situation, even if it enables the worst qualities in some people, I mean, that's real. That's who people are. Well, so I'll, I'll pull us out of this and, and, and sort of pivot a little bit, but I do think no, that- No, I like, I like the inside baseball <laughs> but, stuff. I, but, uh, well, I do think like, and again, as much power as any sort of local digital media company can have, not, and I don't mean just A to Z, I just mean in general- with that sort of power, though, as you grow, it you, you do have to add responsibility to the power. I mean, that 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 is a, a critical piece. I mean, Bleacher Report is sort of the classic example of we're going to be a bunch of people in our basements screaming about stuff, and then they grew into a place where they had to hire, you know, Matt Miller. <laughs> so, yeah. like, it's it, there there does there does have to be some evolution over time as you become sort of an influencer of opinion and information and news you do have to start adding the filters because then you do you're carrying once the power gets so great 
that you can affect people's lives, you do have to be pretty careful with that. I, I, I we'll, we'll just leave it at that and, and move along. Cause I, you mentioned the phrase revisionist history and I, and I, I have found that one of my, and I don't know if it's because of social media, because of it's of Twitter or whatever, digital, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I do think fans today, and to some degree media are guilty of this as well, the revisionist fandom is one of the things that pisses me off more than anything I've ever dealt with. And I and I did not have to deal with it earlier in my career. And I don't understand this. It's it's like, it, it happened with the Titans a lot in particular with Derrick Henry, you know, and Matt LaFleur, Marcus Mariota. There was a lot of players that were not, that were either good or not good. And now that things have changed over time, People aren't, aren't able to go back and say to themselves, well, but that was true then. It's different now. Does this, does revisionist fandom, does that concept land on you? Does it make sense? Like, oh, sure. Again, like you acquired Ryan Tannehill for two, a third of the salary and a draft pick. The Dolphins paid you to take him. And no one in the media or fans was thinking, this guy's going to take us to the AFC Championship game. Or Derrick Henry should have been getting 36 carries a game when Matt LaFleur was running the offense. But now, two years later, it's different and we have a different opinion. Like, I don't understand why fans don't understand that opinions evolve and change as new information gets presented to us. Oh, because people don't care. People just people just want to be there to say gotcha. Uh, people don't care that there's nuance in discussion. People don't, people aren't interested in that. They're waiting to at you on freezing cold takes. That's the only thing that they care about. And and in in the same way that we're talking about enabling uh, cowardice to a degree, that's a social media enables some of the worst qualities in human human beings. One thousand percent. And also, I think it was a bad job on us collectively as a Titans media core because we were buying what they were, what the what the people at the top were selling, which is that Marcus Mariota, just in terms of Ryan Tannehill, Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota is the undisputed starter for the Tennessee Titans. This is who we're rolling with, and and Ryan Tannehill is purely in a backup role. When after the fact, we found out that the coaching staff felt a lot differently about Ryan Tannehill and Marcus Mariota in training camp, but. John Robinson was the person saying, Marcus is our guy. We're moving forward with Marcus. And I understand why John wanted it to be that way. You have to have clearly defined roles when you're operating in something as militaristic as a football team. I totally understand that. You don't want to create uh, create rancor within the locker room. But fans don't get that. And fans don't care about that. They just remember that you said Marcus Mariota was going to be the undisputed starter. And that uh, and that Diana Rossini, or I, I think it was Diana, or I think there was a couple different NFL reporters, Ben Albright, who, who got it wrong, but then acted like he got it right. There was a whole... Uh, tiff for lack of a better term in the Broncos press box at that game when Marcus Mariota got benched can't imagine who led that who spearheaded that charge it was Kaharski but then it was me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know we all have our roles to play (laughs) they just remember that those people had said that there was a quarterback battle when we locally were saying of course there's not a quarterback battle Uh, the, the general manager is telling you that there's a quarterback battle and they're going to let Marcus Mariota ride this thing out as long as they're going to let him ride it out. When in reality, the coaching staff knew as early as training camp that Tannehill was probably well, better at this. And you've even given me a more complicated and informed answer than I was even looking for. I just, no. I, I, I think there's a vague thing that happens where it's like Marcus Mariota is absolute garbage. He was never going to win us anything. Well, he also saved the franchise, right? Like oh. that, you know, Jeremy Pruitt, he needs to go. He's a terrible football coach, but in week two, we loved him. You know, Derrick Henry, why? 
the, the, the offensive coaching staff is garbage for not feeding the football to Derrick Henry. Well, Derrick Henry was averaging two and a half yards a carry. Like, I don't, I don't think that, do you see what I'm saying? Like, there's just this broad level of, let's just forget everything that happened in the past and where we existed in that moment and our opinions and our thoughts and our feelings in that moment. And that it's okay for them to evolve. Like they, they change as other things happen. No, 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 no. You're because this, this is, this is what nuance buck. Come on. Bullshit. What sports is, <laughs> is a microcosm for society. It's honestly why I love covering the NFL because the NFL is a dirty, grimy, political, uh, backroom dealing place. And it is a microcosm for what our political environment is now. If you are a Marcus Mariota person at the start, you're a Marcus Mariota person now, and you're hyped when he goes in for the Oakland or the, for the Las Vegas Raiders, and you're going to wave the Marcus Mariota flag because he was such a good guy. And if you thought Marcus Mariota sucked, you still think Marcus Mariota sucked, and you hate the part of the Titans fan base that cannot let go of Marcus Mariota. You're left, you're right, and it's just the quarterback in between. And those, that's honestly why I miss Marcus Mariota because he was polarizing as shit and people wanted to talk about him and it generated, you know how much run I got out of him coming in in a, in a terrible Chargers Raiders game at the end of the year. It was, it was insane because people love it. People want to fight about it. People want to talk about it. And that's ultimately where nuance gets thrown by the wayside because what we're talking about with social media is it just enhances the worst qualities and lets you lob shot like, like anonymous sources, lets you lob shots at the other side uh, without any, without any real consequence other than maybe you get a little frustrated with some asshole that won't leave you alone in the mentions. So you got nothing for me uh, on that. Steve. I mean, that, I mean, that, that, <laughs> that brought it home beautifully. Yep. I mean, I, I was going to say, so are the Titans going to win on Sunday? <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Give me, a, I, give me a prediction, Buck. Tell me a prediction. It's the worst fucking thing with, that we do in this industry. Nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. I, I, I don't do it. Don't don't blame me for that. I know. But I, so what I do on, I, uh, I, I, so I do on our Instagram story, I take people's Titans questions. It's my version of a mailbag. You can put a question slide up there and people can filter in over the course of the day and I can get to the questions when I get to them. And it's always record predictions, score predictions, on and on and on. And every, every game, I have one person who, every week, I have one person who asks me, what's the Titans record going to be this week? Because I start out the year for the first, for the first week of, uh, or for the week one of the NFL season, it's always 0-0-16. And, and then it evolves as their record evolves. So if they're 1-0, then it's 1-0-15. And, and the thread just keeps going. And hopefully that's my means of training people to stop asking me for fucking record predictions. But it never <laughs> seems to work because there's always new people coming in, which we're grateful for. We're grateful for the uh, for the idea that the audience is growing. But there's no bigger waste of air, waste of breath, waste of mental capacity than picking games, especially based off of last year's results. People don't understand how this shit works. Let me ask you the serious question here. So since the sports books came online on November 1st, have you noticed any, uh, have you noticed any kind of changes uh, or, or definite banter back and forth about gambling lines and about sp uh, spreads and, 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 and kind of different prop stuff that's out there? Um, oh, hell yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the, it's the rare niche or niche. I don't, I don't, I don't ever know how to pronounce that word. Uh, it depends on where you're from, I guess. It's the rare niche hobby that kind of encompasses everybody in sports. Like it's wildly popular as a, as a niche subject. It's why there's so much more gambling content out there. In fact, it's changed my content 
from I have a best bets show. I do a Sunday morning pregame show in my bathrobe, drinking my pumpkin spice latte every morning before the Titans play at 8.30 in the morning. And there's a bit. It's, it's a great gig that I have, Steve. Uh, <laughs> pumpkin spice. Not, not anymore. Not anymore. Right? Is, I know. Well, yeah. honestly, the 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 don't the, say peppermint. That's that shit's gross. Peppermint mocha is good as fuck. It's I really gross. enjoy just like drinking. No, good. it's not. It's it's like drinking milk. It's like drinking warm. It's a milk. child. It's a child's beverage. I'm you know I, I'm under thirty. I still consider myself uh, some somewhere Fair in enough. that range. Uh, and it's taste. I'm not gonna apologize for my coffee tasting good. Get the fuck out of here with that. Anyway, it has absolutely changed the way. That one, I consume my stuff because people are talking about this. People are betting every night. People are betting on the most inane bullshit, especially during the pandemic when they couldn't find anything to bet on. So that are betting on women's Taiwanese college basketball, like one of my one of my college buddies was, and sending me lines and stuff like that on or, or Korean baseball when that was one of the first things to come back. So now I, as a part of my homework, I research what the game opens at. What the uh, what the props are that evolve over the course of the week based on how the rosters change, uh, and then ultimately leading up to Sunday morning with what the lines at then, and and incorporated into into part of my conversation. You have to because this is the thing that people want to talk about. It's incredibly popular that way. Are you I, betting? No, I uh, I do not bet. Um, so I will I will starting Super Bowl week <laughs> for 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 uh, well I after the Super Bowl, I guess is, is the way that go. I should phrase that. So we'll see, go. we'll see what, uh, we'll see what comes of that. You guys will understand more of what go, I'm talking about then. Go Hoosiers. Um, but, so- uh, but large, I, one, I'm never going to bet on, I'm never going to bet on Titans games. It's unprofessional. I think it's, it's compromising. It's my version of insider trading. And I let people know that even as I give out best bets. Uh, and then secondarily, I am, uh, I had a second point and I forgot it. Go ahead, Brad. Okay. <laughs> I want to, I want to, there, there's been enough hot air and facial hair on this, uh, um, on this podcast for, for one day. So we'll, we'll, we'll end with this. And I, I am curious where social media is headed as a, a an industry in this country, because I don't think we can, sur- I think we're going to look back 10, 15 years from now, and we're going to talk about the misinformation age. And it started with Facebook in 05 or whatever. And it's, there's going to be a chunk of history that we study where we just were okay being wildly uninformed. And so I'm curious uh, about how, you know, a guy like you with the personality and the entertainment and the information on, on social platforms, how does all the things we've talked about today in the future, how does that change when we as a country through either legislation or, you know, I don't know, rules of some kind actually start to, to clamp down on the social platforms being as wildly free as they are, Twitter is already trying to do some of that. They've had to with some of the election stuff. So I guess long question is just what, where do you see social media in the future when we do come to grips with the reality of all the misinformation that's out there? It's a, it's a fascinating question. Cause ultimately I, I go back to the, to the line from Jurassic park, uh, life finds a way, right? The internet's going to find a way as to how as to how they spread misinformation or spread you know these these off off center groups that uh, that gather and then buck against the the restrictions that are being placed on things like Instagram. I have people that have friends from high school and stuff like that that constantly put out misinformation, especially during the election cycle, um, and then they they rebuke against that publicly on social media. Like people will find these platforms. There will always be another place that you can go to spread these kind of diseases for lack of a better term. Um, 
the the bet the best answer is is I really don't know because I mean you have things like Facebook Live where you can I mean somebody has live streamed a murder. I mean there's there's shit like that out there. And Facebook can go to Congress and 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 Twitter can go to Congress and YouTube can go to Congress and and legislation can be put in place to try and keep stuff like that down, but it, it, there really is no controlling the internet in a way that's that's all encompassing, I guess. So at, it, at least in our industry, from a sports perspective, you can never be you can never not adapt. You always have to be thinking about what's next and when if something gets there before you're ready for what's next, how can I best utilize it? for uh for one my job and two for the benefit of the company tiktok is something that's below you know is is not something that's my it's not something that i would have gravitated towards it's my sister my sister's a, a senior in high school and all of her friends on tiktok and now people athletes coming in now that they're younger than me they're all on tiktok so i gotta be on tiktok how can i figure out how to use tiktok to the advantage of A to Z sports. People, I know people that are older than me that get their fucking news off TikTok, which is the next strain of the, like COVID evolves, this is the next strain of the disease. So it's a long, it's a long way of answering. Um, we don't know, but you can never be unwilling to adapt to what it is around you and find a different way to distribute your content thusly. I believe it's the Jeff Goldblum uh, chaos theory. I believe is what we're talking about. Here. Life finds a way. Buck, always appreciate you, man. Uh, we appreciate hanging out. And uh, I guess you can follow him on Instagram to get his Titans prediction on Sunday. Morning. I hate you so goddamn much. I really do. It's just so infuriating. Thank you, boys. Special thanks to Buck Rising from A to Z Sports, of course, for joining us. I, I think... Few people in, in the Nashville media world, at least, have grasped, and I think he said it best, like, we at ADZ Sports do the internet better than almost anybody. And I think uh, Buck does a, an excellent job, and I think he said it best there. He said, I'm more, I'm more comfortable being both personality and in, information in, in a Twitter sewer. <laughs> and, and that's where he lives, and he's comfortable there, and, and that may not be the case for you or I. Um, but it does change the way information moves about. And I hate to agree with him about his chaos theory, Steve. I do agree with him about that. The internet will find a way to devolve humankind. Uh, but I do think that you are right. And I think I said this on the interview that when you do start to attain power and influence over a community, you have to wield that power responsibly. And I, I think that's sort of how I view it what, what, with the Isaiah Wilson thing and 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 COVID, frankly, there's a lot of people in COVID that weren't responsible. So yeah, I just I just think, and and I and I said as much on the interview. I, I just think that the the principles around the journalism that gets done should cross platforms. You know, it doesn't matter if your print, doesn't matter if your broadcast, doesn't matter if you have an internet show or if you're you know conducting conducting yourself on Twitter. I just I don't think that the medium should dictate some of the some of the principles that we should abide by and particularly in in dealing with how we report on our subjects but um, but i i, I find buck's yep. 
take on this. Just absolutely fascinating. <laughs> uh, that is one way to put it. Uh, and I do. I, I genuinely appreciated watching the two of you go back and forth. I thought it was a lot of fun because you both made very good points and valid arguments. And, um, I, you know, listen, I, I think as you grow and as you gain influence, you have to then understand that there, there's responsibility that comes with that influence. And that, that is how I would personally view it. Um, so there you have an internet conversation about digital social media and sports content with a millennial. There you have it. I'm not going to call him a hipster, though, because I was the original sports hipster in Nashville, and I'm not a hipster at all. There's a, there's a certain undercurrent of bitterness in that. I, yeah, it's all Withrow's fault. I blame Withrow for that. He started calling me a hipster like eight years ago on radio, and I just said, why? Because I like good music? Give I was going to say. Give me a break. That, that's just jealousy over good taste. I went, to, I went to a state school, and I have emotions. Come on. I can't be a hipster. <laughs> I get excited when I see a great concert, you know? <laughs> Withrow has a chance to have better taste whenever he wants to. Withrow's got good taste, and he'll be on the show at some point soon. And we'll, uh, This is all stuff I've said to him like a thousand times. So anyway, ratings and recommendations uh, on the program. I've got a recommendation that's going to be, Steve, less recommendation, more like like I'm looking for validation, <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense, uh, when it comes to recommendations. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, NFL, Titans and Texans, number one show in the market, 33 a 33.1 rating for the Titans Texans. Each rating point is about 11,000 TV homes in the Nashville market. All of this courtesy of Mark Binda of News Channel 5. If you were a TV viewer and a sports fan, you were watching that game. That's like 350,000 homes watching that game. In, that in, is, that in is a lot. I mean, that's, that's everybody who cares about the NFL in this area. So. Incredible. Uh, Steelers-Browns, which meant a lot to both Titans fans and the playoff. Uh, unfolding in the NFL 16.5 Ohio State Clemson which was a, a pretty solid football game but on a terrible viewing window on a Friday night 14.6 for Ohio State Clemson Alabama Notre Dame a 13.8 and then the Bills Patriots an 11.6 any thoughts having it's weird because the Titans don't spend a lot of time in that later slot they're often a noon game that definitely helps I mean th those 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 three I think they were all 325 starts definitely give you a bigger audience i don't know whether it's people coming to church or lunch or yeah. whatever else you get everybody into those uh slots and outside of like this you know the only place that would be bigger was if it was in the, if they were on the sunday night slot that's the only time i think you could you could potentially beat that number with a with a meaningful titans game uh so if, but, if, I, if i had to rank them real quickly sunday night number one sunday 325 number two yeah because monday, because monday night Thursday night, they, they all draw pretty big ratings. If you if you go back and, and look at our at our ratings, Tuesday uh, night, <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock, right. only on the NFL Network. If you go back and look at ratings over the course of the season, I think what you'll see is that there were a lot of of the so called marquee games. So what happens is is everybody gets most games are in that early window. CBS and Fox will all kind of alternate as to like who has kind of like the big game of the week in that in that second window and that's it's always premiere watching it's the very rarely do you get just kind of dud games in there when the when the networks are divvying up the schedule the problem that like for instance Monday Night Football has had over the over the past you know five seven seasons is that they've lost sort of the picking order and so those games are sometimes duds just simply because they, they don't they don't get the first pick of the litter every week well and, and it's not it's not malleable they, they're set at the beginning of the season generally your thursday and your sunday night games are set 
before the season starts, whereas Sunday night, midway through, you can start to flex games and actually be malleable and change where games are going to get started. And All right, recommendations on the show. Obviously, a huge NFL weekend and um, uh, college football national championship game before we're back with you guys next Friday, so there's a lot going on. I delved into Cobra Kai, and I, I just I recommend people watching it. So this is why it's a recommendation, because obviously I grew up with with Karate Kid as a major part of my childhood. So there's certainly some nostalgia there. But at the same time, like there's moments where I think it is brilliantly written and scripted and performed. And there are moments when it is cringeworthy. And every time. Johnny Lawrence says, babes, I, I want to like throw the chair through the television. Like I, it's, it, it makes my skin crawl. But then there are these other moments where they're, they're very self-deprecating and they're very capable of sort of laughing at themselves and how silly kind of the concept is at the same time. And so I need someone to tell me if it's good or not, because I've seen so much, pe- so many people talking about how good it is. I'm enjoying it. I am midway through the second season. So obviously I'm still watching. But I can't tell if it's brilliant or if it's really just mindless, stupid entertainment. I I can't tell, Steve. So there's been a running question ever since this thing launched because you know it's it's not built around if you're a fan of the original Karate Kid, it's 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 less built around Daniel than it is around the the William Zabka character. And and the, the the question is, is he a good actor? And I, I honestly can't tell. And and it's an it's an open question. And I've watched <laughs> I've watched parts of three seasons. I've I've dabbled in Cobra Kai. I haven't. I cheated and watched some of this third season because I heard that the Elizabeth Shue character was coming back. And I got to tell you, fourteen year old me, big fan of Elizabeth Shue in the original <laughs> uh, in the original uh, Karate Kid movie. She was, so she, she's your, your Phoebe Cates, huh? Oh my gosh. So the but the question is. Are they camp or are they so bad they're good? I I, I, I don't I, I don't I know that I have tell. an answer. I can't tell. I, I should go back and watch it straight through just to just to make sure. But I've got so much other stuff stacked up in front of it. There how did are, you end up? How did you end up here? There are so many brilliant lines that I'm like, oh my god, that's brilliant. And then he's like, back when I was like hitting on babes, and I'm like, oh my god, that's <laughs> like, so bad, so bad. You've been on such a run of like great quality TV, like Queen's well, Gambit to, and so forth. How did you end up in Cobra Kai land? I'm out of things. <laughs> and my wife goes to bed earlier. You've watched all of them? I'm done with Netflix. I'm at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've reached the end. Uh, no, it's it's just, you know, like I need something that I watch that my wife doesn't care about, you know, and I don't have a lot of those things because I, I genuinely laugh at it and keep watching it and then genuinely cringe at it and keep watching it. So I don't know what it is it's i don't know what it is it's an enigma wrapped inside a riddle wrapped inside a mystery i don't know cobra kai cobra kai strike strike first strike strike hard (laughs) which which is funny because the john creech has suddenly shown up again as a an ad spokesman playing off of it and i think what is what is the ads set of ads he's in uh, I think it's for like QuickBooks or something like that. I think oh, it is. Yeah. I think it's QuickBooks ad, and he's now promoting Kawalakai. More mercy, he says. Kowalakai. More mercy. Oh, uh, all right. What do you got for people? So I have a podcast series. There is it's a guy named Grant Wall, a longtime Sports Illustrated guy, longtime soccer guy, one of one of the better uh, one of the better soccer writers in the country. Has written a bunch. Uh, has written a couple of books. 
including like the definitive David Beckham in America kind of book. You've probably, if you've watched World Cup coverage, you've seen him on there because he does, he's worked for Fox the last couple of cycles. I think he had a falling out with the new management at SI. And so one of the first things he's done after that, first of all, you should listen to Grant's pod, podcast if you care at all about soccer because he has a lot of great people on there. But secondly, he's, he's done this podcast series on Freddie Adu. And now Freddie Adu in, you know, 20 years ago was, was one of the phenoms, first big uh, soccer phenoms to come it, it, uh, come up in this kind of World Cup age uh, in the U.S. And everybody thought he was going to be the next sort of savior, was going uh, to make the U.S. competitive, and he just didn't make it for whatever reason. You know, he Very was small. He was, you know, he was undersized, which didn't matter as much at the youth levels, but ended up really mattering at, at the, the highest adult competitive levels. So he bounces around all over the place. He has interviews with Adu, with all the people around him, talking about kind of how he was handled, how, you know, you know, he's at 14, debuts with DC United. And, and I remember because I was, I was at the Washington Post at that time, debuts at DC United, and, and he was a, a huge story. Absolutely huge. He's doing soda commercials with Pele at this time. He, he was the next big, big thing. And I, and I always find these sort of examinations of why somebody didn't become the next big thing kind of fascinating because there's a million different reasons why it's not just one. And that's certainly the case in, in, in Freddie Adu, uh, Adu's career. He's obviously a talented soccer player. But is he the next Pele? He, he wasn't. He definitively was not. <laughs> and so Wall does a great job kind of like getting inside the reason why the, the reason why he didn't make it. I'm with you that there's a child actor like exactly element to it all where like you're so big so early and you have to take so much on. And then maybe he just wasn't good enough. Like, I, you know, so maybe I should listen to the show you're saying. Uh, you absolutely should listen to the show. You know, there's there's an element to, particularly in soccer. Soccer loves to fall in love with phenoms, uh, and loves the promise of somebody at 16. Wayne Rooney ends up breaking in with Everton, I think, at 16. Matter of fact, there's a there's somebody's he's in somebody's ad campaign right now. They have his first goal in there, and it's just like this amazing goal. That if you did that for your hometown club at the age of 16 you know, that it would forever skew the expectations for you. We all gravitate towards those stories. In, in soccer, the, the, there's this promise, particularly in the professional ranks, that, you know, this person is going to be transformative here in America because what's the what's the line they use, uh, the men and blazers guys use, uh, America's sport of the future for 35 years. You know, that, that, sort, of, that sort of thing. Adu is just, it has always fascinated me uh, and, and I just, I found this podcast series to be just cool. fantastic. Excellent. So go check that out. Grant Wall's series on um, Freddie Adu, of course. And then tell me if Cobra Kai is good or not. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Uh, special thanks to Buck Rising for hanging out with us. We do appreciate it. Um, not safe for work, of course. Should have probably told you that before the show. Uh, you can follow Steve where? At Scavendish on Twitter. There you have it. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me at Braden Gall as well. Everybody have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, share the show. We do appreciate it. For Steve Cavendish, my name is Braden Gall. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.